If I ask someone close to you, what in your life receives the greatest praise, what would they say? I want you to think about that for a second. What in your life receives the greatest praise? You weren't there to, to try to convince them what it is, but I just asked them that question. What would they say about your life? Well, if you're a Christian sitting in here, I know you would want the answer to be Jesus. You would want the answer to be Jesus receives the most and greatest praise in my life. But would they truly say that? Knowing you, being around you, outside of the context of men's Bible study, they know you out there. They know you at home. They know you in your workplace. They know you in your neighborhood. Would they say Jesus receives the greatest praise in your life? Well, whether they would or would not, uh, our, our passage today is going to help us with that. Our passage is going to, uh, no doubt, if we apply what we study this evening, it's going to no doubt make sure that we know how to give Jesus the greatest praise and worship in our life. Because here's what it's going to do. It's going to either give you a, a new understanding of all of the spiritual blessings that you have in Christ, or if you already know that, it's going to renew that understanding of those spiritual blessings and the richness that we have only by God's grace and only through Jesus Christ. And so I'm excited to jump into this and help us all make sure that we are giving God the praise that he deserves, because he deserves the greatest amount of our praise that we can give. So if you haven't already, open your Bibles with me to Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 10. Is where we're going to spend our time today. And I love this passage because if you take this whole entire passage, uh, 3 through 14, what's interesting about that is all of that is one sentence. It's one sentence. So Paul just, just went off, right? And he didn't even stop to take a breath. He didn't even stop to put a period. He had 202 words worth of praise and glory given to God because of what he knew that he had in Christ. And so if you and I want to have that same glory and that same praise that we give God, we need to glean from what Paul was talking about here, what kept him going on and on and on and on, and having the longest sentence in the New Testament right here, what we're about to read, at least part of it, through verse 10. But let's pick it up in verse 3. It says this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will 
according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That first part of this passage, verse 3, it sums up everything else that he's about to say in the remaining verses in our passage through verse 10. And he starts off by saying that he says, blessed, blessed. Right? That's the, the, the same Greek word, the, the root of that is where we get the word eulogy from. It's to say praises. If you've gone to a memorial, you know it's to say good things about the deceased. Right? And so we are praising. Paul said, let us praise be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So we see that in the heavenly places. And what does that mean? I think I had you go there on your uh, application questions as well. And so when we think about the heavenly places, oftentimes you think about the Old Testament, they, they, they refer to the heavenly places as three different places, right? It could be heavenly places as in the sky, it could be heavenlies as in the universe, or it could be even above that where God lives, right? But what Paul is talking about here is when he says the heavenly places, he's talking about the spiritual realm that's all around us, the spiritual realm that we can't see, but it's all around us. Right? It's where the angels are. It's where the, the, the demons are. It's, it's where all of the angelic beings are all around us. He's talking about that place where Christ is. And he says we have these spiritual blessings. Right? Spiritual. Right? Of the spirit. Right? That, that's where that translates in the Greek. Of the spirit. So you could, you could phrase it as blessings of the spirit. We have these blessings of the spirit that we receive, that you and I receive. And so the Holy Spirit, what he's talking about now is what links us with where we are in earth and also in that heavenly realm. Right? And so that, that, that the Holy Spirit is operating from that heavenly realm, but he's living inside of us. And the things that we experience in this life, these spiritual blessings that we get in these life, it's not material blessings like you might think, but it's the spiritual things that we have. It's a link between our internal home and what's here on earth. And it gives us, he gives us access to all of that. We have access to all of the spiritual blessings. Not in the fullest sense, but in a sample, a sample of it. If you go to Costco, uh, if you're like me, one of the things that excites you about Costco is the samples. I love them, right? My kids love them. We go there sometimes. And I mean, I get full off of lunch uh, based on samples. But what's interesting is about the samples is it, it, it's not the full thing. Right, there's more that's to offer if you go and get the, the, the big Costco size. But the full sample or the sample just gives you a little taste of it. And that's similar to what we get with the, the spiritual blessings that we get in this life. We get a taste of what we're going to have for eternity in heaven. Example, fellowship within the body of Christ. There's something about being in fellowship that all of us desire. We enjoy it. Because the Holy Spirit has allowed us to enjoy fellowship for what it is. And guess what? We're going to be doing that for eternity. And it's going to be even better. But we get a little snippet of it here. And I can tell you this is the Holy Spirit working because like many of you, if a guy told you, hey, let's go grab coffee before you were in Christ, you'd probably be like, uh, for what? What are we going to talk about? Right? I felt the same way. I'm like, what? are we talking business? Like, what, what are we going to talk about? Right, but when you become a believer, when you become in Christ, when you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, you start to realize, hey, I need this. I need other men in my life. I need this fellowship. 
the Holy Spirit gives us that understanding. He gives us that ability to desire fellowship. What about creation? Prior to, create, prior to being indwelt with the Holy Spirit, you could walk around and you could see things, and you're like, yeah, that looks nice. But as a believer indwelt with the Holy Spirit, you go down to the beach or you see the sunset, and you're in awe. You're in awe because you're like, look at God's majestic power. Look at creation, right? You're in awe because you know God is behind it. You know God created all of that. And so you get a little sample size. You're in awe of God's beauty. You see that in everything. What about singing? Right? Singing praises is something that, that lifts up your soul when you sing worship. Right? Before you were in Christ, sometimes you'd come to church and you're like, when are we, we going to get past the worship? Right? I, want, I want to get to, to the meat. Right? I want to get to the sermon. Right? That, that is, but when you're in Christ, when you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, it's something about worship songs, worshiping God that, that lifts your soul. It's because the Holy Spirit is giving us access. The Holy Spirit is allowing us to experience that. You see, those are the spiritual blessings. You can't see them, but the Holy Spirit is allowing us to get a sample of what we will do in eternity forever. We get that now. Spiritual blessings that we have, as Paul talks about, they're poured out through the Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit allows us to to have and experience things different than we did before we were saved, right? It's poured out through the Spirit, and the Spirit comes from salvation. Once we are saved, we are indwelt with the Spirit. And therefore, all of the blessings that we get in Christ come from salvation. They come from salvation. It starts with salvation. And our first point this evening I want you to write down is you and I, when we think about praising God and giving him the greatest praise, we need to praise God daily for our salvation. Praise God daily for our salvation. Because if you know the riches and the blessings that come with your salvation, you would pray nonstop. You would pray nonstop. Because it's an eternity worth of blessings. And some we experience now, but the others we're going to experience for the rest of eternity. And if you really realize that and you really think about that, how, how big, how great of a gift your salvation is, you should be praying that every day. God, thank you. Praise God for my salvation. It's that big of a deal. I mean, consider Paul. Think about Paul. Remember we talked about it last week? Where is Paul when he's writing this letter? He's where? He's in prison. He's in prison, right? He's in prison. His body is in prison, but guess where his mind is? His mind is in the heavenlies, right? His mind is seated where Christ is. All he's thinking about is things that please Christ. He's thinking about things that are, that are well beyond earthly matters, right? He tells us that in this letter that he sent side by side with Ephesians, Colossians 3, 2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are here on earth. Set your mind on things that are above, right? Put your mind where you're going. Put your mind there. And once your mind is there, you, you don't get bogged down with all the stuff that's happening here on earth. Jesus also said that. Matthew 16, 23, he turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on things of man. So you get Paul talking about earthly things and how they really don't matter because his mind is up here. We know Jesus was all about pleasing the Father. That's, that was his whole mission while he was here on earth. That's all he cared about. He didn't get caught up in all the earthly things. Right? We give the greatest praise in our life for things that don't matter. Paul and, and Jesus gave the greatest praise to the Father. You and I give our greatest praise to, to, to earthly things at times. We went to the Angels game last Friday, and here, here we are at the Angels game, and you got grown adults 
shouting like little kids for a baseball team. And they're not even good. That's the bad part about it, right? I mean, you got grown men and grown women, some of you in here were screaming at the top of your lungs, giving your greatest praise for a sporting event. Now, I'm not here to say you can't cheer, but I mean, some of you, I've never seen you get so loud for a sporting event. But it made me think while we were there at that game, you got people yelling and screaming and, and the loud meter going all the way up, which is programmed. You know that, by the way. You, you're really not affecting it, just FYI. Um, but you have all of these people praising something that really doesn't matter. It's not going to matter the next game. It's not going to matter the next season. But we, we shout and give our praises. And it made me think, how fervently do you praise God for your salvation? How fervently do you praise God for your salvation? Something that's everlasting, something that doesn't come to an end, something that transcends this world. How often and how fervently do you praise God that you are saved? He deserves our greatest praise. And Paul couldn't stop talking about him. He couldn't stop talking about him. I told you, 202 words. Imagine saying 202 words without taking a breath, without having a period. I mean, the benefit to us is we have versification here, like we break it up in verses. But all of this, that one section all the way down to 14, is one long sentence because Paul just couldn't stop talking about Jesus. He was so excited. He couldn't stop talking about the blessings that he had. We all get passionate about things here on earth. For some of you, it's a It's a hobby. All right, soon as somebody starts talking to you, you go straight to your hobby. Some of you, it's your family. It's a good thing. It's, it's your family. You always talk about your family. You're always talking about them. Some of you, it's about work. Some of you, about the new restaurant that's in town. Whatever. You all are passionate about something. But the question I want to pose again is God getting your highest praise. When you think about that one thing that you can go on and on and on and on and on and on about, do you do that same thing for God? Do you do that same thing for your salvation? Because that's far more important, man. Salvation is far more important. It transcends everything. It has eternal blessings that can't be tampered with. And we need to praise him with our greatest amount of praise. But here's the primary reason. I'll tell you the primary reason why God may not be getting the highest praise in your life. We don't praise him as we should because... Our eternal salvation is out of sight, out of mind. It's out of sight, out of mind. We look at our eternal salvation as a transaction that happened in the past, and then we keep living life the way we want to live life. Instead of praising God for it every single day because it's that big of a deal. Some of you have been Christians in here for decades, and you don't even think about your salvation anymore because you're well beyond that. There shouldn't be a day that you and I go without praising God for our salvation. Because if we don't have salvation in Christ by grace alone, then we're doomed. We're headed for destruction, eternal destruction. And we should be praising God for the fact that he chose you, he forgave you, he chose you and adopted you to be part of his family. Without you doing anything. Praise God you didn't do anything, right? Because you probably would have done something wrong like me. 
But praise God, he didn't choose us based on merit. Praise God, he didn't choose us after he saw what we did in our life and then made a decision. Praise God that God chose us, he adopted us for a purpose, and he saved us. And we should praise him daily for that. Never let a day go by without praising God for salvation. It's that important. I oftentimes talk to my kids when we're eating dinner about how grateful they should be that you got food in front of you, that you got food to eat. Three meals a day, sometimes six with growing kids. They're, they're eating. They're eating. And you know how kids are, right? They can get picky about, oh, I don't want that. And sometimes I make them think about it. I'm like, just think, there are kids out there that don't get a meal. They don't get a meal. And think for a second how grateful they would be if they had that same plate of food that you have if they got a chance to eat that. You think they'd be grateful? And, of course, they say, yeah, they'd be supremely grateful. Why? Because they don't take it for granted. They don't know when the next meal is coming. And so, of course, they don't take it for granted. But, men, far too often we can be that way with our salvation. We think because we've been Christians a few years around the block that we were owed something, that we deserve it. And we don't thank God for it because we think, you know what, I'm a pretty decent person. I can see why he chose me. We may not say that, but our actions can show that because we're not praising God daily for our salvation. Just like God's mercies are new every morning, your understanding and your praise for your salvation should be new every morning. Every morning you and I should wake up and say, praise God you saved me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you, God, for adopting me into your family. That should be a daily prayer that we need to have because it's worth it. It's more than worth it. It's that big of a deal. And when we get caught up in praising for all these other things that don't matter, and then we put God to the side, we become like that kid that's ungrateful for the food that he has in front of us. Let's make sure as men that we understand that we should be praising God for salvation, salvation. If you are saved in here, praise God for salvation because you didn't do anything to earn it. God chose you. Paul continues to praise because he understands God's unmerited grace to him. Paul knows that he was the, the most wicked sinner. And so now he can't stop talking about how good God is to save him. All that he's done, I told you my favorite two words, but God, being rich in mercy, right? He saved Paul, and so he could not stop talking about him. And he continues in verse 4. He says this, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Chose us in him. In love, he predestined us. One of the most beautiful things about God's love for us and God's grace, unfortunately, 
is one of the same things that causes many Christians to fight. It causes many Christians to divide. What is that fight that we have? Predestination versus free will, right? Calvinism versus Arminianism. We have this battle between Christians. It's interfamily battle. When there's a war going on out there trying to stop us, we're too busy fighting amongst ourselves saying, I think it's this, I think it's that, I think that's wrong, it must be this way. Which one is it? Is it predestination or free will? Here's my answer. Yes. Yes. Yes, right? If I'm not mistaken, if my eyes aren't, aren't jacked up, even as he chose us in him, I, I didn't make that word up, right? Look at it. In love, in love, in love, he predestined us. Did God sovereignly choose and predestine us? Yes, he did. It says it right here in the text. And he did it all throughout Scripture. You look at Abraham. He chose Abraham. You know what Abraham was doing before God chose him? Joshua 24, 2 says Abraham and his family were worshiping other gods. They were worshiping other gods. And God said, I'm going to choose you and I'm going to send you. Because I'm going to use you. They were worshiping other gods. There was nothing that Abraham was doing that was even the slightest bit worthy of being chosen. Israel, he chose Israel. He made a promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 that he was going to make a great nation out of him. You know how many offspring Abraham had at that time? Zero. He didn't have one or two, so he could say, maybe it was me, you know, they just got my genes, and, you know, they were good. They were... He had zero. And then God used this small nation to become the main nation. You look at the 12 disciples. None of them were voted most likely to succeed. Right? You got tax collectors. You got fishermen. You got all these other people. But then God said, I'm going to choose you, and I'm going to use you. To advance my kingdom. Right, and what does that tell us? It tells us 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 27. I love how Paul says this. Not many of you were wise, but God used the ones that weren't wise to shame the wise. He used the foolish to shame the wise. And so if that's not a sobering thing, you and I are saved in Christ. We're the fools. That's us. Right? But he's using us for his glory to shame the wise. And so he predestined us. He adopted us. He chose us before the foundation of the world. Yes. Romans 9, did he create those for honorable use and dishonorable use? Yes. It's right there in Scripture. Jesus said it, John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Yes. None of us are coming to God without him drawing us. None of us are coming to God without his sovereignty. God has predestined this. He has chosen this. Free will. Is there human responsibility? Yes. There's human responsibility. That same passage, one chapter before, John 6, 44, write this down, John 5, 40, this is what Jesus tells the Jews. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. What? 
you did that. You refused to come to me, Jesus said. You had a choice. You refused to come to me. Right? I talked about Romans 9. Guess what the next chapter talks about? Evangelism. Romans 9 talks about dishonorable use and honorable use. Romans 10, same, same chapter, same book, right? Paul keeps on going. Remember, there's no chapter back then. He's writing this all together. So the next break of topic he has, Romans 10, 14, 15. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear someone without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? That passage is about evangelism. That passage is about Paul going out and preaching the good news, that God may use him, the Spirit may use him to save others. He's calling people to repentance just like Jesus did. There's a decision there. There is a human responsibility there. Yes, look at our passage. Look at our passage right now. I just told you this is all one sentence. Look down at verse 13. So we just read, he chose us, he predestined us. Look at verse 13. In him you also, when you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and what does that say? What does that say? Believed in him. You believed in him. You, you, you did that. You believed in him. Wait, I thought God draws you in. He does. Wait, I thought there's human responsibility. It is. How do you make sense of that? I don't know. I don't know. But that's what God's word tells us. It's both. Right? Deuteronomy 29 tells us that some things are going to be a mystery to us. And guys, I know this is hard. I know we want to say God, God, God said this. He, he, he's sovereign. He, 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 he's the one. It's not anything of our doing. It's just God's sovereignty. I agree with you. And then some of us want to say, nope, there, there's a responsibility. I, I have to respond. There is a, there's a decision that has to be made. I, I got to call people to re- repentance. I got I to respond to that. Yeah, 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 you're right. You're right. Here's the thing. The Bible has no problem harmonizing the two. Neither should we. Neither should we. Right? Paul didn't go into detail. He didn't explain. He didn't have another chapter to say, okay, guys, I know this is confusing, and I, here, let me try to set this straight. He just kept going because it, it was understood then that God can do both. Right? He didn't need to explain that. God can do whatever he wants. It's his prerogative. That's not my problem. That's God's problem. He's, he, he has it all under control. He doesn't need my little peanut-sized brain to try to help him figure it out or simplify it for people. It's both. I love what Spurgeon said about this in the book Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, which is a great treatment on this. If you want a book to read, J.I. Packer, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. But this is what Spurgeon said. Spurgeon was once asked if he could reconcile these two truths, predestination and free will, to each other. He said this, I wouldn't try. I wouldn't try. I never reconcile friends. He said, I never reconcile friends. Why, why do I need to reconcile these two together? They're just fine. They're friends. And it keeps on going. He said, friends, yes, friends. This is the point that we have to grasp. In the Bible, divine sovereignty and human responsibility, they are not enemies. They are not uneasy neighbors. They are not an endless state of cold war with each other. They are friends, and they work together. They work together. People come up and ask me, do you follow Calvin or do you follow Arminius? I say, neither. I follow Jesus. I follow Jesus. 
And Jesus had no problem saying, God is completely sovereign. It's all God. You, you wouldn't even be able to think about coming to me if it weren't for God drawing you. And he also said, go out and preach the good news to the ends of the earth. We, we got work to do in Christ. I wanted to make all of that point because, guys, I know there's some of you in here that are five-point Calvinists. Like, it has to be this way. Okay, maybe it is, but we need to ease off of being so dogmatic. Guess what? When all of us get to heaven, there's going to be some things that you and I were so set on that we just knew it, that, that were right. We're going to be completely wrong on that, and that's okay as long as we have the primary things understood. So let's make sure that we aren't causing division. Let's make sure we're not leaving the church. Let's make sure we're not creating a, a problem within our group. Because out of all of this, Paul made this point, not to, not to cause a debate, debate on predestination, but to point out that God chose us for a purpose. That's the whole point. God chose us for a purpose. He's, leading, he's, he's building all of that up to say God chose us for a purpose. What was that purpose? To be holy and blameless. To be holy and blameless, to bring him glory and honor. That's what we're talking about here. And that's point number two for us is you and I need to understand God chose you to live a holy life. That's why he chose you. He didn't choose you because you were, you were going to be something special. He didn't choose you because, you know, he, 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 he looked down the corridors of life and you made it. No, God is sovereign. God is all-powerful. He chose you before you did anything. He chose you for a purpose, to be holy and blameless and bring glory to him. Jot this verse down, Colossians 1, 21 and 22. Colossians 1, 21 and 22. Paul says this, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, as all of us, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. You're aiming, you aiming to live a holy and blameless life is your sanctification, and that's what God designed for the rest of your Christian life. If you're a Christian here, that, that, that's, that's the rest of your life, to be sanctified. And God's going to use that. And he is using that. God's get, God gets the glory when you continue to pursue holiness, when you continue to pursue sanctification. None of that is sitting back thinking that I'm frozen chosen. You know what? I'm good to go. I don't need to do anything else. That's not biblical. God saved you for a purpose that you may be holy and blameless, meaning you got some work to do for his glory. For his glory. When we live lives as God has created us to live and called us to live, it draws people closer to him. My testimony, one of the most convicting parts of my testimony, is sitting right here in this room having a group of men that were Christian, real Christians. And I was calling myself a Christian, and I wasn't real Christian. But the reason I was able to see that, not because somebody set me down and gave me the full gospel, but the reason I was able to see that, because I saw something different in their life. They cared more about pleasing God. They cared more about living a holy life, living a blameless life. And God used that to convict me that, that I wasn't doing that. And that was part of my testimony, because I had other men around me that were living holy and blameless lives. And I was able to see that there was something vastly different from what they were doing than what I was doing, and we were both trying to call ourselves Christians. And I could tell you, I, I, I wasn't. But God used that 
And guess what? God has specific people in your life who he's going to save because of your life being holy and blameless. Yeah, you're going to get to the point of talking about the gospel, but a lot of what happens when people have that, that, that transition where they are coming to Christ, where they are starting to have their eyes open, is because they see a believer in their life that says something's different about their life. And I want to get to know a little bit more about that. Right? You living a holy and blameless life is going to draw other people and bring God glory. It could be them later on. Right? Somebody you work with. Right? When there's all stresses and everything going on at the job and, and, and all this pressure going on at the job, when you continue to live a holy and blameless life, that speaks volumes and points to Christ. Gives God all the glory. Be someone in your small group right now. Same situation like me. You may think they're a Christian, but maybe they're not. Maybe God's working on their heart right now. And you living a holy and blameless life will bring them to a saving knowledge and understand that something's not right. My relationship is not where it needs to be because I see a brother that's in my group that is living for Christ, that is giving God the greatest praise in his life. We're always going to have a temptation not to do that. But that's why I continue to press on to say, guys, we need each other. We need to be here. We need to be in small groups. We need to be in discipleship. We need to be teaching and learning, teaching and learning. Right? We need to be holding each other accountable. We need that because the world is fighting a battle against us, and they ain't trying to have that. So you need other men in your life that are going to help you continue to live that holy and blameless life. And God is going to use that, sanctif- that sanctification in your life for his glory. Paul continues to expound on those spiritual blessings that he talked about in verse 3 as we get to the final portion of our passage, verse 7 through 10. Let's pick it up in verse 7. He says this, in him, in him, in Christ, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. One of the commentaries that I was reading had an acronym for grace, 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 the grace that we need. It said this, it said grace stands for God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches that we get at Christ's expense. The only reason we get all of God's spiritual blessings, the only reason we get everything that we have in life, the richness that we get for eternity is at Christ's expense. It's because Christ died for us. Not because we were good, yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Praise God for that. That's point number three for us. You and I need to praise God for his grace through Christ's work. Praise God for his grace through Christ's work. Grace, unmerited favor. That means something we didn't deserve. He gave it to us. Only by grace you have been saved. Sub point A. There, you can write this down while you're at it. One of, those, one of those things that Christ's works gives us and that we can understand and we can see from our passage, one of those spiritual blessings is redemption. 
redemption. You see it right there in, in the beginning, verse 7 8. In him we have redemption through his blood. We have redemption through his blood. In the circular letter that he wrote around to the, uh, the Ephesian area or area around Ephesus, uh, they were, again, in the Roman, they, they were under Roman rule, and so all of this was a Roman colony, uh, and they were very familiar with this slavery concept, right? Many of them had slaves. Many of the, the wealthy, they had slaves, and so this was not something that was unfamiliar to him when he said redemption. He, he, he knew that word would ring a bell to them, right? He says redemption because that was common. It was common that you would have someone that would purchase a slave, right? They would purchase the freedom of a slave. For a certain price, for a certain, whatever it was, they would make that, pur- that purchase to the slave owner, and then that slave, slave would be set free. They would be set free from whatever bondage or whatever work that they had before. And so there was a payment, a ransom, a cost that they had that someone would pay, and that is the redemption. You and I have all had a ransom paid for us. We've all been redeemed. We were all once slaves prior to being in Christ. We were born into slavery. We were captured by Satan's lies, all the lies of the world, all all the the, the progressiveness of the world, all of that stuff. We we were part of that at one point in time. We believed that. We had wicked hearts. We had deceitful hearts. That was who we were. But through the work of Christ, Christ redeemed us. He ransomed us, a payment that was fully satisfied that allowed us to be broken free from that bondage of sin because of the work that Christ did, because of the blood that he shed on the cross. You and I can be free now. We're no longer under the bondage of slavery or the bondage of sin. Right? 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Washed clean, fully justified. Only by God's grace, only through the work of Christ. Far too often we take this for granted, but I want you and I to be praying and thanking God for his redemption through Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your redemption, for your grace towards us. I mean, just just think about that for a moment, slavery. Just think about one of the slaves during that time, right, hard work laboring, physical abuse, a rough life, a hard life, and they got no way out. It's not like the government is coming to save them. That's part of society, right? A rough life. And then just imagine on one of those rough days where you're just getting beat up and treated bad that they say, go on, get free. That's probably how they said it, go on, get free. That was probably American slavery, not necessarily that, but... That they would say, go get, you're, you're out of here, right? Just think about that. You're out of here. You're set free. You're no longer under the bondage of, of slavery. You're set free. Can you imagine how that slave felt? And take it even further, what if the person that purchased that slave, that set that slave free, brought him into their family? And they had a wealthy family, and they had full access. He was adopted as part of the family, and he had access just like everybody else in the family had access. Imagine how that slave felt. That's the story for us, man. That's the story for us. 
but that requires you and I to remember the bondage of slavery that we were in. Remember the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed for your sins, past, present, and future. All that bad stuff you did, he died for you so that you didn't have to be under the bondage of sin, the bondage of Satan anymore. What does that redemption mean? Redemption, having redemption means we've been forgiven. That's letter B. We've been forgiven. Because Jesus was perfect, right? He fulfilled the law. He freed us from the bondage that, uh, of the law that we could never fulfill. He freed us from that. His blood freed us from that. We don't have to live in guilt or shame or fear of judgment to what's, what's to come because we are forgiven. You and I are forgiven. Yesterday I played in the focal point golf tournament, and you know what? I needed to buy more mulligans than I could afford. That's just the case. I needed to buy a mulligan. And if you don't know what a mulligan is, a mulligan is you hit a bad shot, then you can use a mulligan, and it's like that never happened. Right? It's erased. It doesn't go on the scorecard. You use a mulligan. It clears away the bad shot. As Christians, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he's given our life a mulligan. Right? Our life standing before God, standing before the judgment seat. It's clear. You don't see all the shanks and all that other stuff that happened before. You don't see that. It's clean only through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, only by his grace. If you're a Christian in this room right now and you struggle with guilt or shame and questioning if you're forgiven, remember God's promise here. Right? 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All of it. You have been cleansed. If you're not a Christian here, if you, have, if you don't claim to be a Christian here, you can have your sins washed clean today. Today. Jesus has paid that price for you. Jesus shed his blood on the cross. It was fully, fully satisfied what he did on the cross. And if you die tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, whenever that time is, you can stand before the judgment seat, seat and you will be clean. And you will be able to enter heaven. Because otherwise you have to pay for your sins yourself and, and you can't. You cannot do it. But Jesus has done that for you. Repent and place your faith in him. Believe in him and you will have eternal life. Paul knew that there was a ton of religions going on. As I mentioned last week, they had, you know, magical practices. They had, they were believing in these deities and the stars, and they would look to the stars and all that stuff to dictate what was going to happen to them in the future and all of that stuff. And he gives us, at the end of our passage, that the mystery of the gospel has been revealed. Right? It's been revealed. The mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, it's been revealed to us. We don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder what it is. And that's letter C for us is the death of Jesus Christ, the blood that he shed for us. It allowed us to see God's will, his mystery of his will be revealed to us. Revelation. Revelation is what we get from that. Revelation of what God's ultimate plan is. We see that by God's grace through 
the work of Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1.3, write that verse down. His divine power has granted, us to, granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Look, there's going to be certain things that are beyond our comprehension, right? Trying to explain the Trinity. I, it is what it is, right? I mean, it's right here in our passage, too. This is a great, great example of the Trinity, right? You got God the Father, you got Jesus Christ, and then you got sealed with the Holy Spirit. So it, it, it's there. It's there. Can we explain it? No, right? We talk about free will and, and predestination. I don't know. They, God doesn't seem to have a problem with it. Why do I have a problem with it? It, it? it works out. It's all part of God's plan. It's both, right? But the thing that he has revealed to us is his greatest and most ultimate plan. And that is to be able to bring everything, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth, in the fullness of time. At the end of time, right, we start with eternity. He, pre, he predestined us. He chose us. We get time bound. And then at the end of time, at the fullness of time, we go back to eternity. Everything will be united under Christ. He tells us that. And we get to see that. And that is such a blessing that we should praise God for that, that we sit on this side of the cross and we have the clarity to be able to see the, the, the full context of the story from Old Testament Israel all the way up to Jesus coming and that being the fullness of God's plan to unite all things in Christ. You've been given eyes to see. Praise God for that. There's some people right now that can read the same scripture, but they don't see it like you see it because it's called illumination. God has illuminated your mind to be able to see things that bring him honor and glory. And it's not just a history book. We should praise God. We, don't, we should praise God that we don't serve a God that's, that's hidden, right, that changes. Right? These, these gods and goddesses during this time, they just change, right? They were angry sometimes. They would change. You just never knew. God has revealed his mystery to us. How much do you praise God that he has illuminated your mind? How much do you praise God that he's allowed you to have eyes to see when not everybody can see? Praise God for that. Only by God's grace, only by Christ's death on the cross that we can have full access to the richest blessings. I want to start with that question that I asked you at the beginning. If I ask someone close to you, what in your life receives the greatest praise? I don't know what that was before tonight, but make sure going forward that through prayer, through verbal praise, through how you live your life, it's Jesus that receives the greatest amount of praise. Without a shadow of a doubt. It's like, I, I know that dude. All he does is talk about Jesus. All he does is praise Jesus. All he does is talk about his salvation because it's that big of a deal. Make that be known about you. Because you know by God's grace you have received an eternal blessing that's far beyond anything that this world has to offer. You have that in Christ. And he should receive the greatest amount of praise. Most importantly because he deserves it. Praise God for all that he's done in our life. Let's pray. Lord, we can't thank you enough for salvation salvation that we didn't deserve, that you didn't need us, that there's nothing that we bring to the table. But by your grace, you saved us. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, you have redeemed us. You have adopted us. You have sealed us with the Holy Spirit.
And, Lord, you, you have a purpose for us that we may live a holy and a blameless life. And may that bring honor and glory to you. Lord, I pray that we would seek to do that, that we would just praise you all the day long. But just start off by praising you for salvation every day. Start off by praising you for the blood of Jesus Christ every day and praising you for your grace and your mercy that you've given us. It's the greatest gift that we could ever have, Lord. I just pray that we would realize that and that would be new to us every single day. Lord, may that be the case with us right now as men of the church and let us start a revival of all people in the church, praising you for salvation and praising you for your grace. I pray that that would be the case from here on out moving forward. May we praise you and thank you and give you all the glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.